This episode of Just Another Conspiracy Show with your host, Jeff Williams. Special thanks goes out to Pipe Choir with their, with their song Stand Up, which is the theme for this show. Special thanks also to A View From Space group on Facebook and also Spooky Weird and Cool, both of whose support is invaluable to this show. And as always, a special thank you to you, the listener, for welcoming me into your homes. Well, the weekend coming up, we're looking forward to the Super Bowl. Or, depending on when you may be listening to this episode, perhaps it has already gone by. And if so, it might give you some pause to think about what you have just witnessed. The Super Bowl likes to brag that it is the largest single-viewed event in the world. And indeed, it is the showcase of the ritual magic for every single one of us. The Illuminati is fully aware that you are going to tune in, whether you're at a bar with friends, you're at someone's home for a Super Bowl party, you don't even have to be an American. Canadians tune in, Australians tune in, Europeans tune in, everyone tunes in to watch two teams battle it out for supremacy. It brings out the private, the primal nature in each and every single one of us. You see, sports has always been entertainment for the masses, for you and I. It's meant to appeal to grand, to a grand spectacle. The ancient Romans used to have their coliseums and public executions, and in the modern day, we have the big game. And there's arguably no game bigger than the Super Bowl. See, the rich occupy themselves with balls, galas, and various private events that have exclusive guest lists. Of course, we are not invited to those things. We might be treated to a, to a picture or two of one or two of the celebrities in whatever outfit they've chosen, and perhaps there's a bit of scandal about what they are wearing, but the fact is they go in behind closed doors, and we are not allowed to see what goes on behind there. But you can tune into the big game and participate in the thousands that are in the stadium and the millions at home who are lending their energy to the ritual taking place. You see, ritual behavior is pretty much the standard for humankind. You can perform a simple ritual of waking up every day, whether you wake up, wash your face, have a cup of coffee, tea, whatever it might be, that is your morning ritual. However, ritual has a deep meaning. Not only is it things that we do every day out of habit, but are things that are planned for us to do together as a group. And the Super Bowl is a group activity par excellence. Because not only are you sharing your, your energy with the, with the sporting event, but with all the people and the millions watching around the world, 
all focused on what is happening on that field. Now there's no mistakes in the big game. Okay, penalties perhaps, a player missing their cue, but what you are seeing in front of you is a carefully orchestrated show from beginning to end. You might remember back in the 1990s when during the World Series, the United States Marine Corps, quote, accidentally, end quote, put the Canadian flag upside down. That was absolutely no accident. The Marine Corps has a very, very effective command structure. So not only the commander of that color guard okayed them to go out on the field like that, his commander inspected them going out, and the stadium crew let it go by. So even if one person had made a mistake and said, oops, someone should have caught it. But their intention was to rile the crowds up, to cause an outrage. And all it took was to put a flag the wrong way around. See, these are the subtle ways the Illuminati and the New World Order like to influence you. Now, throughout history, the the sporting events that have channeled mass energy into one place has gotten more and more powerful as time goes by. The modern age with television has intensified this a thousandfold. Because, once again, not only are you just focusing on a coliseum, a stadium, whatever you might call it, you have the whole world watching you. You might recognize those particular words as a very common phrase used in various events. Now, the halftime show is the one thing that people will watch almost without fail. The, the halftime show is designed to pull you in so they can weave their spell and further the Illuminati goals. This year's halftime show is particularly interesting. As some of you may recall, I mentioned before several weeks ago, it features Justin Timberlake. Now, in himself, he does have legitimate celebrity status, although celebrity is just an illusion. But Justin Timberlake is a curious choice, because a few years ago, he was part of the famous or infamous wardrobe malfunction when he exposed Janet Jackson's nipple in front of the millions of fans. Now, I don't particularly recall seeing anything. I was watching the event, but perhaps I was distracted. Perhaps I looked away. I didn't see anything. But there was such outrage over the event because in North America, nudity is such a horrible thing. In Europe, nudity is not such a bad thing. It's relatively common on TV. Japanese TV, nudity is absolutely nothing to be afraid of. But for some reason in North America, we have a neurosis about seeing nudity of any description on TV because it might affect the children. Well, children are affected by everything they see. This is true. But that was not the reason for the outrage. The problem was the spell that was being woven was so shocking to everybody that they were saying, I am outraged against this incident. And 
I'm not saying people wouldn't be outraged. There are a few puritanical people out there that are straight-laced and do not expose themselves to such a thing, and they would be very justified in saying so. But the National Football League, who tries to portray, portray themselves as wholesome and good, had no real problems with this. You may have forgotten this, but at the time they said they were not going to allow Justin Timberlake or Janet Jackson to perform again. Yet in 2018, Justin Timberlake is proudly taking the center stage to perform his same act. Now the question is, how is Justin Timberlake placed so high in the Illuminati they would choose him not once, but twice to perform in the Super Bowl, especially after his last performance was so controversial. This simply is because he is that darned good. He weaves the spell the way they want it. And there are a few artists that have had more than one appearance in the Super Bowl, but he joins a fairly elite group. The doubling down on the significance and the symbol symbolism in this Super Bowl, you have the Eagles versus the Patriots. There's some symbolism indeed. The Eagles, of course, are an ancient symbol, and the Americans claim the bald eagle is their national bird. The Patriots, well, <laughs> I don't think I need to reveal the symbolism there. The biggest game in the world, and it has the two biggest possible symbols of American dominance on display, the eagle and patriotism. The eagle dates back to ancient times, and it reflects back to Zeus, or Dias Piter, which is where we get the name Jupiter. So right away, appealing to an eagle appeals to pagan blessings. But there was a much more recent empire that came up with the exact same formula of the eagle, television, and sports spectacles to connect with its audience, and in fact, to weave a very sinister spell. That would be Nazi Germany during the 1936 Olympics. See, the Germans at the time had pioneered television broadcasting, and they were showcasing this the 1936 World, uh, World Olympics to not only their local people, but to the entire world. It is perhaps the first Olympics where the entire thing was recorded and presented. And of course, they were proud to showcase not only the swastika, but the eagle, which had a big significance to the Germans. It was part of their imperial tradition to show an eagle, and Indeed, one of the highest awards from the from the Germany was the German Eagle. But going back to the Nazis, they were pioneers in televised propaganda, indeed propaganda in general. They were famous for holding their rallies, torchlit rallies, getting people out in the middle of the night, speeches, fire, spectacle, and that is how they kept control of their people. Now, what does this sound like? 
the Super Bowl halftime show, perhaps, where there's going to be fireworks. There's going to be jets going overhead with flaming trails going up behind them. There's going to be rallies with the cheerleading squads going around, the people doing the wave, all coordinated precisely the way that they are supposed to. Yes, that dates back to the Nazis. They were the ones who pioneered well, perhaps not pioneer, but they were the ones who first perfected the formula. The Nazis were also heavily invested in athletics because they thought by concentrating their efforts there, they could make a superman or ubermensch. Forgive me if my pronunciation is not perfect. And ultimately, they wanted to control their population through shows and spectacles because you don't notice tyranny happening if you're rooting for a team or concentrating your energy on whatever ritual they put together. Now, in Nazi Germany, of course, the ritual would be centered on Hitler. And whatever speech he would be giving, the people would be cheering and clapping, all responding to his energy and reflecting it in their, their own. And this is always the case when it comes to rituals. They want your energy to join up with theirs. Now, there's some people that think the Nazis died out in 1945, but the fact is, their legacy lived on, right up to the present day. There's the so-called neo-Nazis, who are really just gangs of punks controlled by delusional racists, who are barely conscious of the hate that they spew. I mean, yes, a few of them are prevalent in several areas, and there's certain places in the southern United States that you wouldn't dare go if your skin isn't the right color, or you might practice the wrong religion. But overall, they're, they're mostly isolated. They're not unified. However, from the 1950s to the 1970s, prominent Nazi members kept surfacing in South America, notably Joseph Mengele and Adolf Eichmann. There are a couple others, Edward Rossman, Gustav Wagner, but I'm going to focus on Joseph Mengele and Adolf Eichmann for a moment. Joseph Mengele was known as the Angel of Death and was one of the most sought-after fugitives from Nazi Germany. He was responsible for such horrible experiments in the concentration camps that I will not go into details at present. I will spare to listeners and myself the gory details. It's freely available online to find out what he did. But still, somehow, he managed to escape not only the Soviets, who were quite happy to execute any high-ranking Nazi that they came across, but the Allies. And he made his way to Brazil, where he died of a heart attack in the 1970s. They didn't even manage to trace who he was till nearly a decade later. He had hidden his traces that well. And there are several reasons for this. The, the other person we're concentrating on is Adolf Eichmann. He escaped Europe, completely untouched. He made it, he made it to South America once again, but Mossad agents kidnapped him in the 1960s and managed to bring him to justice for war crimes, but only after he had enjoyed many years at liberty. And there are still unaccounted for Nazi figures. Perhaps the two biggest agents would be Kamler and Hitler. 
Chandler's place of death has never been properly established. There's multiple rumors whether he supposedly shot himself, whether he was killed by Czech resistance fighters, whether he made his way out. No one knows what happened, but Kamler had managed by the end of the war to accumulate all the Nazi secret arsenal of weapons, the V2, the V1, the V3, the V3 programs, all the big research programs, the secret stuff he had under his control. And until he disappeared, he had every intention of bargaining those secrets with the Allies for some sort of protection. Of course, he knew he couldn't go to the Soviets. The Soviets weren't prone to bargaining. But he figured he might be able to cut a deal with England or Germany, or sorry, England or the United States or some other friendly nation. So it doesn't make any sense for him to be so confident and ready to bargain one day and either shooting himself the next day or running suicidally into the Czech resistance. This is a very calculating man. And of course, Hitler Hitler was supposedly immolated when after his suicide, his his aides, his aides, his fellow agents, whatever you want to call them, because they were all being controlled, they'd set fire to his body to prevent it from being destroyed by the advancing Soviet army. Now, unfortunately, when the Russians produced the evidence of Hitler's body, the DNA tests didn't match, the teeth didn't match, nothing matched. So we still don't have a body for two of the most horrific criminals in history. You might ask yourself how these people were able to escape when they were so notorious and so well known. Well, a lot more than just the Nazis themselves survived. They, the Nazi top brass had realized in as early as 1943 that the war was not going well for them. And they set up shell co- corporations in other countries and they partnered themselves up with established firms. You might know Tyson Krupp or GlaxoSmithKline. Tyson Krupp is a major manufacturer in the modern day, and it was a major manufacturer of weapons during the Nazi era, and even before, during the, the, the rule of the Kaiser in World War I. And GlaxoSmithKline, well, if you have aspirin in your closet, or Tylenol, chances are GlaxoSmithKline is part of it. Another major corporation that survives today that was actually founded by Adolf Hitler is Volkswagen. So we can see the Nazis were very well acquainted with corporations and the ability to transfer assets overseas, including themselves. And the organization responsible for smuggling all these high-ranking Nazi officials out of Germany was called Odessa. Now, Odessa was formed out of from covert agents from the Nazi government that were determined to safeguard their ideals and leadership. They chose South America precisely because it was so friendly to Nazi ideology. Argentina, in particular, under the Perones, was willing to house Nazi U-boats during and after the war, and was very willing to provide a safe haven for the key players escaping the Soviets and the Nazis. Or sorry, the Soviets and the Allies. The Nazis were the ones escaping. And Argentina did, did in fact, 
welcome U-boats after the war. There are rumors indeed of town, remote towns in South America where German is spoken openly and outsiders discouraged from remaining around. That may seem a little unusual of a choice for a Nazi to be, want to settle in South America. After all, you've got your First Nation tribes, your, your mixed races and everything, and all sorts of people mixes down there, which is against the so-called master race ideology. But when you think about it, the scale with which they fled, groups and towns were lifted whole scale from Germany to South America. So it was easy for them to set up an isolated community where Germans only would be and they could make sure the people around them did not present any threat to their ideology. And in case you might think there's no influence from Nazi Germany to the modern day, Argentina did attempt to invade the Falkland Islands in the early 1980s, directly challenging Britain. I believe it was 1982 to be pretty precise. This was kind of an act of revenge for World War II. They thought they would be able to have a last-minute Hail Mary, to use the football terminology, and squeeze a little something out of Britain. Britain unexpectedly was able to project their force into the South Atlantic and retain that territory, a couple little islands, thousands of miles from their home. But again, Argentina, who invaded the Falklands, was heavily influenced by Nazis who had escaped justice by that point. So it seems peculiar that Argentina to this day is pursuing their claim at the Falkland Islands. It's that grudge doesn't seem to have gone away. But operating alongside Odessa, which was smuggling the worst of the worst, shall we call them, out, there was Operation Paperclip in which Nazi scientists found their way into the United States system. The Soviets had a similar program, but the Soviets brought the Nazi scientists over to train their scientists and then sent them back home. The United States integrated the scientists into their various programs wholeheartedly. Werner von Braun, for example, was a former SS officer, the elite soldiers of the Nazi Republic. And while that may have been a political move to keep himself in the good graces, after all, his rockets were rather expensive, and as a war weapon at the time, they were fairly dubious. But his ideology directly influenced the United States space program. And there were also some scientists who were probably very willing to change signs. Their hands were never properly clean. Pretty much every Nazi scientist, whoever it might be, had been involved in a war crime of some description, whether using slave labor or, like Joseph Mengel, ordering people to their death. There's also some more sinister doctors who came through Odessa, who came through Odessa and through Paperclip, and became part of groups like MK Ultra. Now, MK Ultra was directly responsible for the mind control experiments from the CIA, and it's been a constant presence in U.S. warfare since the 1950s. There are continuing rumors that U.S. citizens were experimented on directly. Various things like letting loose supposedly benign chemicals 
into a major city like Philadelphia or Detroit and then letting doctors do blood tests and see how far they would go. Now this is still information being declassified. We still don't know the entire extent, but it does seem a large number of people died because of these exact experiments. And that is a tragi tragedy of international scale. But let's get back to looking at how the Nazis worked. Because both the Nazis and the Allies were, saw the advantages of cooperating with corporations. And the corporations ultimately were what got the Nazis out of a defeated situation in Europe. See, when the Soviets nationalized their industry, they destroyed the bourgeois class. They, they tried to equalize the playing field. And you can debate both sides of the argument to what extent that they were successful, but the attempt was to rule of the proletariat. But the Nazis, while they nationalized their industry, they kept the industrialists in power working for them. And as a matter of fact, they had no problem dealing with capitalist entities whatsoever. Henry Ford, the founder of Ford Motor Company, was not only published, was not only involved in publishing a highly anti-Semitic tract known as the International Jew, that was in the 1920s, but he was also the recipient of the Grand Cross of the German Eagle. Again, we see an eagle coming into play with Nazis, rather sinister implications. But the Grand Cross of the German Eagle was an award for military and industrial services during the time of war. The time of war that Henry Ford was successful at was World War II. So we have a very particular capitalist whose corporation is still around today, who was awarded a special distinction, an eagle, from the Nazis, from Hitler himself. Now, Odessa, the organization that smuggled the former Nazi officials out, was also known as Der Spin, which is the spider. And it's its efforts were on behalf of the globalists trying to keep the extermination agenda on the table. Because remember, the Illuminati, the New World Order, the Hidden Ones, ultimately want to control the population. They still follow the Malthusian logic that overpopulation will cause runaway problems, and they put this lesson into your head every day. Now, while I will not say that sorry, an unlimited human population is a good idea, I am saying that the population is probably going to level off in 2050 and start declining after that. Because once you reach a certain level, there's simply not enough resources to go around, and people with a decent lifestyle tend to have less children. The population is aging, but anyways, I digress. Back to Odessa and Der Spin, the spider. You might recall in Bohemian Grove, there is an owl that stands guard with an inscription that, re that reads, Weaving spiders come not here. So, whoever put Bohemian Grove together were showing their allegiance to the owl side of the elite. You're going to find the owl and the spider are two different symbols frequently used by the Illuminati, and they represent supposedly opposite factions in the struggle for world, world domination. 
But once again, this is only a superficial level. They outwardly compete, but inwardly they work for towards the same thing. The owl does it a different manner, and the spider is more insidious in trying to crawl under, crawl around and infest the areas that it comes in contact with. So, when the Eagles and the Patriots clash this weekend, remember whose side they are really on, because it's not about you. It was never about you. Celebrity is an illusion. The athletes that entertain you on Sunday will be broken, will have broken bodies and be the concussed victims a decade from now. Their fame and fortune will be squandered. They'll be penniless and desperate for your attention. But they will have served their purpose. And when you have served your purpose, you are discarded. And that is why many celebrities die at a young age. See, the Nazi survivors from the spider side had still not completed their purpose to the Illuminati, so they were allowed to continue into the 1960s, 1970s, and even the 1990s, although at that point they were all extremely old. And to this day, we are still discovering their work on mind control, experiments on civilians, and other despicable things under the umbrella of the Western world, the supposed bastion of freedom. It's not like the Western world's hands were clean before the Nazis come over, but the evil that was festering inside Germany in the 1930s and the 1940s was allowed to infect the rest of the world. And it's still waiting for us, and we must always remain on guard lest its talons clutch us once again in their attempt to exterminate us all. So this weekend, when you watch the Super Bowl, you're going to see a spectacle that's going to draw you in. You're going to get lights. You're going to get a show. You're going to get music. And there's even rumors of a return of NSYNC, Justin Timberlake's former band. All this is just to make sure your eyes are watching the lasers, the spectacle, everything that they have going, the smoke machines, and, of course, whatever little bit of controversy they're going to work into the show. Because when it's all said and done, they want your energy, they want your soul. I wish to thank you all for listening to this episode of Just Another Conspiracy Show. Um, the Secrets of Solomon by Jeff Williams is available now at Amazon Kindle Books. And on March 1st, Cemetery Island will be released. The story of a young man who has ran into some unfortunate difficulties in life and finds himself in a psychiatric institution where he finds that there's a sinister conspiracy lurking while all the, while the other patients are blissfully unaware. Once again, thank, thank you all for joining us. And if you do choose to enjoy the show this weekend, please do it with an open mind. And remember, an open mind is the best thing that you can have.